The year was 1639. I know that, you know, there's a few of us that might have been born close to there, but uh, 1639, Rembrandt was challenged with a commissioned work of art. There was a group, the Civic Militia Guard in Amsterdam, that wanted a painting to simplify what they did. They commissioned a few other artists at the time, some contemporary people, none as well known as Rembrandt. So in 1639, Rembrandt started his work. He began to paint these movements. You see, in the time of Rembrandt, these commissioned works, everyone should have been stagnant, non-moving, posing in nature. And that's how everybody else's work was done, except for Rembrandt. Rembrandt painted a painting that we now know is called the Night Watch. The Night Watch is a a large piece. In fact, it used to be larger, but now it's 12 feet by 14 feet. It is a large piece of art. And Rembrandt did each person a, a special way. He shaded them differently. They gave them each a task in the painting. And Uh, One is a a young girl that has a chicken attached to her waistband as she makes her way through the crowd. Another, a young man who is dressed like a soldier running past them. The general and his first in command are sitting there working out their strategies. And in the very back of the painting, in the very back of the crowd, you can see a hat and an eye. And that's Rembrandt. He painted himself into the painting. Now, this painting, even today, still hangs in museums, but the reason it's mostly known is because what's happened to it. January 13th of 1911, a man who was carrying a shoemaker's knife came in and slashed the painting multiple times before he was corralled to the ground. Next, 1975, uh, the work was attacked by an unemployed school teacher who also slashed it in zigzag formation. And then April 6th of 1990, a man walked in carrying acid and threw it upon the painting before he was tackled to the ground. All three times this wonderful work of art had to be taken care of by people who knew what to do with it. And each time they restored it back, at least to its closest nature, they could get it. We live in a time where faith is being questioned because it has been slashed and messed up and ruined by a few that get more time in front of cameras than they do in the Word. And now is the time where we as the church need to reclaim what God gave us. We need to rebuild what it should be. Faith should be actionable. Faith should be a masterpiece. Faith should be lived out every day, and if it's not, it must be reclaimed. Because of that, we have a task today. We have a task to look at Scripture and ask the question, does my faith look like this passage in Scripture? And so ever, as we kind of go over this series together, reclaim, reclaiming what should have always been true of faith, what should have always been done in our homes and in our workplaces and in your life, We have to ask the question, do I look like faith should? And if not, how do I fix it? 
Because I know if they asked me to come in and fix this Rembrandt painting, there is no way I could do it. I'm not skilled enough. I don't have the manual for it. I haven't done it. And so for most of us in the room today, we've seen faith. We've seen faith ruined, and we've seen faith lived out correctly. We've seen people that live out their faith in a way that makes us go, I want that. Haven't you seen that in your life? I know I have in mine. I see it in our church. I see it on the face of a a Jesse Solomon. I see it in the hands of a Jess Sizemore who plays piano faithfully. I see it in Del Moreland. I get to see faith every day. Because of that, I want it. I want to experience it. And because of that, today we let Scripture talk to our hearts. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Let's not rush to judgment that we have it put together. Let's really set that mirror in front of us of Scripture. And let's look at it, because I'm with you. I, I know places where I need the Lord to speak over me in this passage. This passage was the passage that God has been speaking into me, so I, I hope that it rolls out to you. So, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start with the fifth verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 5. It says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They'll keep you from being useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to capture what's happening in this passage. As Peter is writing, he is hoping that people will catch on to what he is struggling with. That he's hoping that people will latch on to where he's trying to grow. The greatness of the New Testament is this. Not one of the characters in the New Testament had it put together. And in fact, if you're a scholar, you realize neither did the Old Testament people. These heroes of faith all had issues and struggles and scars to prove it. And because of that, we don't have to equal up to them. I just want you to know this. Do not walk in the footsteps of Peter, of Paul, of anyone else but Jesus. Because I can tell you, if you walk in anybody else's footsteps, you'll only go as far as they did. Walk in the footprints of Jesus because he is eternal. He is perfect. He is the platform. He's the example. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And none of the other names in those mentioned possess the way of eternal life. Only Jesus. So because of that, we are given a challenge today to do something. Review our lives. Maybe you don't understand what Sunday's for. And I want to give you a few tools. This isn't in your notes, but if you want to write them down, here they are. Number one, the reason you show up on Sunday is because God told you to. If you need any other reason, you do what the Lord tells you to, because if you don't, there's a consequence. We don't like to talk about a God of consequences, but it is absolutely who he is. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So we are to remember the Sabbath and we are to celebrate it because God called us to. Here's the next. 
Not only do you come because God told you to, you come because you need the fellowship of other Christians. You got to have it. There is no such thing as solo Christianity. Absolutely not. There is solo faith. You can only go to heaven if you possess a faith and understanding of Jesus. You cannot go there just because you attend a church. There's no such way that you join a church and make your way to heaven. Quell Creek cannot save your soul. So you need the fellowship of other Christians because you need to be challenged. And the hardship of that is you have to become an open book if anybody's going to read it. I think there's a, a true challenge that we must kind of identify. If you want people to challenge your faith, open your life to them. Find a group. I'm not saying that you need to come on stage and share your 18 sins today. Believe me, I, I think there would be a mistake because we're a judging people. We'll tell your story. We'll put it on Facebook. You know what so-and-so said on the church today? We're that, listen, let's just be honest. That's who we are, right? There's a reason why the star and all those tabloids sell is because we buy it. There would be absolutely no reason in the world that TMZ should exist, except we watch it. So because of that, we need a reckoning. We need to get an understanding that you need to find a core group of people who are growing in their faith to share your story with. Listen, not everybody in this room is willing to grow in their faith. I mean, I, I wish it was different. I wish that all of us, I wish I was always there. But there's times we prefer sin over growth. And because of that, we're stuck in a place that we come to worship and we read the lyrics of songs on the screen and we go, hmm. Instead of realizing we came to worship a Savior, it doesn't matter if there's any music involved. Like we walk into the room and we jointly bring our hearts together and we say, Lord, there's two or three people here pointed for your purpose. And Scripture says that when two or three gather in your name according to your purpose, you show up. Amen. So, we show up because we need the fellowship. We show up because Jesus asked us to. And what happens is if we do those two things, we show up because we like it. Because there's nowhere else we'd rather be on a Sunday than worshiping Jesus Christ. It's a challenge to us to go, how do we move in our faith to get to a place where it doesn't matter the situation, it doesn't matter the destination, we're just glad that we get to show up and worship Jesus. Here it is. So let me backtrack in the scripture with you. It's going to be on the screen, so if you got your Bible, here we go. Second Peter verse 3. His divine power being Jesus has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through him you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. He's setting us up for success. And then in verse 5 it says, this, for this very reason, because you've been set up for success, because he's given you everything that you need, because he's given you a way uh, of escaping the corruption of this world, because of all of that, your next step is to supplement your faith. 
So I had to look this up because I've heard of supplements before, haven't you? Some of you are on supplements. Your doctor's told you you need more of something. And so supplement does this. A supplement is something that completes or enhances something else when added. A supplement is something that completes or enhances something else when added. I'll give you a, a, a core concept. You go and you make chocolate chip cookies. And you put in those good chocolate morsels that make us smile and are happy. And you do everything, but you don't put in salt. How does that cookie taste? Terrible. It just doesn't have what it takes. You know why? Because salt makes everything taste good. It enhances flavor. And so when we talk about supplementing your faith, it is literally taking the faith that you have in Jesus and saying, Lord, if I could just do something to make my faith stronger, what would it be? And he goes, supplements. So here they are. Today we're going to talk about two of them. We're going to continue through this passage as we go through this series. But the first is this, goodness. Goodness is the first supplement it's given, and it is a moral excellence or a desire to be a blessing. A moral excellence or a desire to be a blessing. This is the two ways that Scripture defines goodness. That either it is a moral excellence that we should be pursuing, or it is a desire to bless others and to be good. So goodness is defined in those two ways. So if you want to know what goodness is, moral excellence a desire to be a blessing, or as I like to put it, it's possessing a moral excellence that gives you the desire to be a blessing. Because there is none that is good, no, not one. That's what Scripture says. In fact, you remember the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher. And what is Jesus' response back to him? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. What he's trying to get the rich young ruler to see is not just that Jesus isn't good. He's trying to realize that Jesus is God. He's trying to get him to move in a direction of goodness. He's trying to tell him, you have shown up. And listen to what he says. He tells the rich young ruler, what are the commandments? And he starts to wind them out. He goes, I've kept all of them since I was a kid. And Jesus says, you have rightly said so. Moral excellence. Then he says, if you're going to follow me, go sell everything that you own and then come follow me. The desire to do good for others. This is where the rich young ruler could not be good. He could follow a moral code. He just couldn't see giving up all that he had for others. This is goodness. It's virtue. It's the ability to break free of those things. And so Scripture tells us what goodness looks like. Psalms 23 says this, that the shepherd brings goodness. Right? And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Let's not forget how it leads into this. The good shepherd leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for his rod and his staff they comfort me. And surely, and goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
Goodness is found in the work of the shepherd of God in your life. You want goodness? You're struggling with goodness? You don't know how to supplement goodness? Go to the shepherd. Go to where it comes from. And if you need another example of how that works, is this Psalm 65, 4. says it's found in the very presence of God. That it's right there in his footsteps. So even if you don't get where a shepherd would lead you, Psalm 65 says it's in his very presence. So if we want goodness, we find that to get goodness, it's not built upon what you can do. It's built upon who you hang out with. Man, who you hang out with is going to determine the steps you take. Who you're walking in the steps of will become what you are. Man, I've got some great examples in my life. I grew up listening to Fred Rogers talk to me every day through television. Thank the Lord for public broadcasting, right? Fred Rogers would show up and he would invite me into his neighborhood. He would show me things like patience and kindness and forgiveness and love. He showed me how to handle difficult things. And so I remember listening to Fred Rogers and wanting with all my might to show up at his house, not realizing as a kid it was on a studio set. I really thought when they flew through the little miniature houses that that was his real neighborhood in Pittsburgh. I thought, I've got to go visit this man. And so if I followed the rest of my life in Fred Rogers' footsteps, I may be someone that should be on TV in front of children But Fred can't save my soul. What a great example of a man he was. And I, listen, I believe he's in heaven. He was a believer in Jesus. But listen, his footprints will only take me so far. And listen, I I realize where I'm standing. I'm literally standing in a place where Stan Coffey, maybe one of the greatest evangelists in my lifetime, stood. I mean, amazing man, preached amazing messages, gave the best invitations I've ever seen and and so I get to stand here in the footsteps of men that you can see as you walk down this hallway I mean I I stand there but if I follow in their footprints the best I can be is a great pastor because they can't save me either I need Jesus and so do you Because we can't muster goodness. And if it's a piece of faith that we're missing, we realize this, that when Jesus prayed the prayer, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then give us this day our daily bread is the question, are we going to Jesus for our daily bread? Or are we turning to anything else to feed us? Listen, every day I'm waking up and I'm reading guys like Tony Evans. And I'm going back and I'm reading some guys like Adrian Rogers. Some great men of faith. But i got to tell you, none of their words feed me. It's only Jesus. And if I want to look like him, I'd better go where he's at and eat what he's serving. Because only goodness can supplement our faith. That's the first one. Look at Galatians 5.22. It says... That it's the very work of the Holy Spirit. And these are the works of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Goodness. Do you see it? It's 
It's right there. Right in the work of the Holy Spirit, which means this. Not only do we learn it's in the work of the shepherd, not only do we learn that it's at the feet of God, but we also learn that it's in the daily work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that moves us from being just okay Christians into faithful ones, growing in their faith. April and I had this decision to make. We lived in this little town called Fred, and, and we had all these people around us that had gardens. And so we decided we're going to plant a garden in my backyard at the parsonage there. And, and so I called a few of them and said, hey, we're going we're to start a garden. And they were so excited for us. They came out and they helped us till it up. And, and we planted things like new potatoes. You know, those little reds, they're beautiful. And they came out and they showed me how to plant it by liming a potato. I've never limed a potato before. And so we did that and we planted purple whole beans. Y'all know them as maybe black-eyed peas. These were purple. Then we planted little uh, tomatoes, some like grape or cherry tomatoes, and we had those, and we had some okra plants. I mean, we just, we planted. It was awesome. I mean, I'd get out there, and I'd water it like I knew what I was doing. Just, I'm a farmer. We just got out there, and we planted, and, and it took forever. I mean, I'm a city kid. If I want potatoes, I go to a store. They magically appear there, and I pay for them. This I'd water, and I'd go, come on. I'm hungry. And, and then one day I walked out, and they had sprouted. Any of y'all that plant, y'all know that moment. You're like, I have made this, you know. Um, and so I, got, I started getting excited. And with potatoes, you wait until they break the soil. You know, you got to wait, and they like that. Then you know they're ready. We'd go out there and I'd just pull like a little string of potatoes out of the ground. We'd wash them up, cut them up, fry them up, eat them up. It's fantastic. It was amazing. And some of us in faith want the kind of faith that requires nothing more than we go to the store and buy it. Lifeway will not make you a better Christian. Jesus will. Can we use the tools Lifeway gives? Praise the Lord, I hope you do. But listen, it doesn't do the trick. Only Jesus does. So to supplement our faith, the first thing we get from Peter is to supplement it with goodness. And then he moves on. Goodness, now that it's in you, the next is knowledge, right on top of it. Faith, goodness, knowledge. He wants you to capture this, that everything's a building block, and this knowledge is a trust in God's truth. You got to trust him. This knowledge is not being a brainiac. This knowledge is realizing that no matter what's going on in your life, God has got it. He is big enough, strong enough. He is God enough to handle what you got going on. And listen, if we don't capture this, we will go the rest of our lives trying to make our faith work instead of going to Jesus. And we will miss out time and time again of the blessing that comes from being completely His. All in, holding nothing back. I think this is the greatest miss of Christianity. I think if you were going to look through this passage with me, I think knowledge is the hardest one. Because we believe knowledge is this, that we could write our own commentary tomorrow. We've got enough commentaries. 
We need Christians. We need people that really believe that Jesus is who he says he was and acts like he may come back tomorrow. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. I think the greatest moments in Christian history happen when smart people predict when Jesus is coming back. Here's why. That day before he shows up, the church arrives. All of a sudden, everybody shows up at church that Sunday. We're like, well, if he comes tomorrow, I want, you know, an extra Sunday on my resume. <laughs> like Jesus goes, okay, Kyle, um, ooh, you missed a couple of Sundays. That's going to get you a trailer house in heaven. Uh, that's bad. This isn't how God works. The question is, if this is your last minute, do you know and trust Jesus? Do you know him? Because I'm telling you, this is knowledge. Not just that you have this understanding of him, but that you trust what he says he will do. That's the knowledge. Don't confuse it with academia. This is belief. I think too often we believe knowledgeable people are people that can just recite lots of things. I don't want to have a list of things that I remember about Jesus. I want the scars and tattoos of times with him. I want to be shifted in my life with him instead of talk about him. Don't you feel it that that's what the role of Christianity is? Is not to be a bystander to what Jesus is doing in anybody else's life, but to be a part of it in yours? Let's not celebrate just the fact that we have all these Old Testament men and women that trusted what Jesus said, like it says in Hebrews. Let's become those kind of people. Like, let's let Jesus change us. Have the knowledge that he will do what he says he will do. And if so, that changes everything about what we do. If God is faithful, if God is love, if God is a father who desperately loves us, if God is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, if God is all these things, we should know him. I want to know him. So knowledge is like this. Proverbs 18, 15 says, An intelligent heart acquires it, and the ear of the wise seek it. They seek to know God. Colossians 1, 9 says that we should be filled with wisdom and the understanding of God's will. Here's how that works. You will never follow God's will until you follow it. I, I wish I could tell you some other way. Peter couldn't believe that Jesus would allow him to walk on water until he took that first step, right? Because at this point, he had never seen it outside of Jesus walking up on him. He might have thought, well, Jesus can do this. And he goes, why don't you come out here, Peter? And he goes, <laughs> I fished on this water? <laughs> that doesn't happen, bro. But unless you say, if you say come, all right, let's, let's do this. What? Right? And everybody's going, what? And he starts to walk out. Listen, the knowledge of Jesus requires the action of people. Don't just read about him. Do it. Don't. Listen, hear me. This is going to be a terrible statement until you let me clarify. There's a lot of people that pray that God would move them, but they never get off their hineys. Pray. Man, make it your daily diet, but also stand up and go. Don't just pray for a lost world. Go reach them. Go meet them. Go talk to them. 
That is the knowledge of God. Because God moves his people. They're active. They're alive. They're a city on a hill. They're the salt of the earth. They make everything they touch taste better. That's you and I. Don't you see it? Don't you see that once we start to have faith in God and we start to say, what's the next steps? He goes, more time with me. Because we can't produce goodness. And we can't produce knowledge without him. I believe that Jesus is more interested in us putting our feet on the street than he is that we serve at VBS. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said it. Y'all are like, I'll put my feet on the street instead of VBS. Anyways, don't you see that God has called us to our city? He moved you to Amarillo for a reason. If he didn't want you in here, he would move you away or take you home. Until then, he's given you a mission field. He's given you a people group. And it's yours. Know him. Come and be known by him. Charles Dickens writes that wonderful tale of Scrooge who gets to meet these three spirits through the night. And then he meets one that tells him, come and know me better. This is the exact words of Jesus to his disciples. Come and follow me. They could have stood back and talked and wrote books about Jesus. Don't you capture that? That the disciples could have written novels about Jesus standing off from him. There's plenty to write about. But he called the disciples to come live amongst him so that they wouldn't just be scholars. They would be disciples. Don't just be a scholar. Be a disciple. Come and know him. Come and know Jesus. Not only is that a passage, but James 1, 5 says this, that we should pray for this kind of wisdom and knowledge. God, that you would draw me close to you so that when you move, I move with you. God, that you would open my eyes to the people that you're speaking to, but I'm not listening. Psalm 111.10 says the fear of the Lord is what spurs knowledge on. It starts with the fear of the Lord to, to go, Lord, you are great, you're mighty, you're holy, and because of that, I've got to be near you. I've got to be changed by you. So it's not just that I've placed my, my hope and my life in you. Now you're showing me how to live like you did, to be morally a virtuous and to love others and to put others above myself and then to have this knowledge that you are all I need. You are an all-encompassing, loving God who challenges my life. I want that because that starts to produce a faith that your neighbors need, that your spouse needs, that your classmates need, that everybody needs. We must supplement our faith with these things. 1994, two Americans were allowed into the Russian Department of Education. They were brought in to teach culturalism of Americans. So they came in and, and they started and they began to teach the kids about uh, things like why students in America are so social, how to start social engagements, how to talk to one another, how to ask a girl on a date. I mean, these are the minor things they were teaching these Russian children that they had never been taught. They wasn't coming from their home, so they, they asked these two Americans to do it. And as the school year kept going, they rolled up to Christmas. And the two men took the, the moment. They, they, they just jumped on it. So 
the Christmas of 1994, they began to tell the story about Mary and Joseph, this couple who had to travel to Bethlehem and finding no room at the inn, this couple went to a stable and they had a baby named Jesus who was born and placed in a manger. Throughout the story, the children in this Russian school were on the edge of their seats. They were listening to a, a story they had never heard before. They'd never been told before in their life. And these two men were sharing it. So exciting. Talking about a God who would come and be born amongst us. Who would save us ultimately from our sins. But was born like us. In the smallest possible way. And all the children were challenged. They were just amazed. And so the two men said, here's what we want you to do. Here's pieces of cardboard and, and here's some napkins. We want you to make a manger. And so each student began to work on their mangers. And they, you know, they made a stable and a little manger. And they began to tear the napkin strips up like, you know, like just kind of piecing it all together. They made it look perfect except for one. This man walked by and there's a six-year-old who had just finished his project. And inside his stable, inside the manger were two babies. So the man called over a man to interpret, and he, he asked the young boy, he said, hey, I don't think you got the story quite right. The young man crossed his arms, looked seriously at the man, and he said the young boy had heard this story just once in his life, and he related to it, where Jesus was put in the manger by Mary, and then this little boy began to ad-lib after it. He said he made his own ending to the story. It went like this. And when Maria had laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked if I had a place to stay. I told him that I had no mother. I had no father. And so I didn't have a place to remain. Then Jesus said I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't. I didn't have anything to give him as a gift. But then I said to Jesus, what if I just stayed here and kept you warm? Would that be a good enough gift for you? So I asked Jesus, if I kept you warm, would that be good? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that'll be the best gift anybody's ever given me. So I got in the manger, and Jesus looked at me, and he told me I could stay with him for always. At this, the, the man from America stood back, and with tears in his eyes, he had realized of all the kids in this Russian school, he had found the one kid without the mother and father that finally got the story of Jesus right. Amen. Our story is this. From the moment you invite Jesus into your heart, you never walk alone again. Never alone, never abandoned, never just the, the fears and the struggles and the chaos we see are not yours. God loves you so much, he sent Jesus for you so that when the struggles of this world come, we run to him. And he keeps us for always. Today, faith is this, not that you had it put together before you came to know Jesus, but that you came to him anyway and he keeps you. This is Jesus. He loves you so much that he takes us all just as we are and loves us with it. So today, if you are broken, today, if you're struggling, today, if you're messed up, if you're broken, if you're wounded, if you're scarred, no matter what your story is, we have a Jesus who loves you and desires that you would know him.
Today, you can have goodness. You can have knowledge. But today, it starts with Jesus. Do you know him? And if you don't, today is your day to know him. I'm going to pray here in a moment. And my prayer is this, that as I pray, you can hear the Spirit of God speaking to you and saying, I need that Jesus. I need him today. Because I believe with all of my heart, we all need Jesus. And so you're not alone. You don't have to walk this alone. And if no one came with you, you're still not alone. Jesus is with you. He will never abandon you. So here's your chance. My prayer is this, that today you will know him. That you'll make him known in your life. So today, if that's your step, if you want to know our Jesus, my Jesus, our Jesus, your Jesus, if you want to know him, make him known in your life today, right where you are. Let me pray over you. Bow your head and close your eyes right where you are. Maybe you'd say a prayer like this, Lord, I need you. I trust what scripture says about you, and I want you to be known in my life. I want you to lead me. I want you to change me into what you want me to be. Lord, I don't walk, want to walk in anybody else's footsteps except for yours. Today, you can change me. If you pray a prayer like that, let me just tell you what happens next. The Lord's going to change your life. He's going to change your life. It doesn't mean the ways of this world aren't going to hit you. They are. It just means you have somebody with you through them. So today, do you know Jesus? I'm going to pray for you. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. But I'm going to pray this, that if you need to know Jesus Christ, you'll come and let one of us guys up front know it. Just say, I don't know how to take the next step with Jesus, but I, I need him. Today is your day to get to know him. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, God, I pray your spirit would move mightily over everyone in this room. God, that if we don't know you today, would be the day that we start that relationship with you. God, we want you to be our sustainer, our shepherd, our leader, our guide, the example for our lives. And Lord, we want to look more like Jesus all the time. So Lord, to do that, we need to know you. So Father, let that be a time for someone in this room, multiple people in this room, to come to know you as Savior and Lord today. Because Lord, we can't do it without you. So Lord, speak. Lord, we pray this in your holy name precious name, the very name of Jesus. Amen.